This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and cents on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning and welcome to Ringgit and Sense, the show that's all about personal finance. I'm Roshan Kanesan. A balanced portfolio is one that fits your individual risk tolerance and investment goals, but it isn't enough to just set it and forget it. You also need to make sure your portfolio stays balanced, which is known as rebalancing. But what on earth does that mean or entail? To help us get a better understanding of this, I'm speaking with Rajan Devadasan, CEO of RD Wealth Creation and Licensed Financial Planner with Manulife Investment Management Malaysia, Burhad. Rajan, welcome back to the show. Good morning, Roshan. It's wonderful to be back. So let's jump into the conversation today. We always hear this term, rebalance your portfolio, balance portfolio. But what does it mean? What does it entail? That's what I'm hoping you can help uh, shed some light on today. But the thing is, before we can even rebalance a portfolio, we need to have a portfolio and an asset allocation in the first place. Now, there's no perfect method of determining our individual ideal asset allocations. uh, But there there are certain methods, like, for example, the rule of 110 to help with this. Now, the rule in 110 in particular is where you simply just subtract your age from 110 to determine the kind of percentage uh, your portfolio should be allocated to stocks with the remain with the with the remainder mostly in bonds uh, Rajan let's start off with this what are your thoughts on the, the rule of 110 and just uh, getting your ideal asset allocation very good question Roshan um, I prefer to actually uh, get back to basics and build mm-hmm. this from the ground up what is the ultimate purpose of investing and it's quite remarkable you know I can have conversations with um, very well-educated doctors, engineers, business owners, and, and, and they know that they want to basically have more money. But when you want to pin it down, the real purpose of investing is to grow our money faster than taxes and inflation can erode its purchasing power. It's so important, I'll say it again. The purpose of investing is to grow our money faster than taxes and inflation can erode our purchasing power. So, Bear that in mind, and then remember that what you refer to as the rule of 110 began, and I'm not sure who initiated it, but it's a fantastic idea, began as the rule of 100. Now, when it was the rule of 100, we basically had a very, very simple portfolio. The portfolios that I construct for my clients are a little more um, intricate, a little more sophisticated, but if you keep it really simple, uh, just two parts, you have your liquid portion, the bonds, and you have the growth portion, which would be your stocks, equities. Now, when I construct portfolios for my clients, typically um, I never construct a pure investment portfolio. I always construct a savings and investment portfolio. And um, when I'm trying to blend things based on the client's goals, the amount of wealth that a client actually has, I will typically use three four or five asset classes to construct the savings and investment portfolio. But to keep things really simple and to go back to your rule of 110 or the original uh, rule of 100, and I'm going to give you a a more advanced iteration of that in a moment. What you want to do is to remember that you've got a portion of your portfolio that is liquid and you've got a portion of your portfolio that is targeted for growth. So when I use a five asset class portfolio, the risk-off portion, the liquid portion, is typically cash and fixed income. Cash is cash. Cash is stick in your mattress, in your pillowcase, in your piggy bank, in your savings account, in your fixed deposits. Um, 
And um, if you want to, maybe in a pure money market fund. Fixed income would basically encompass bonds and bond funds, preferred securities and preferred securities funds. So that's the relatively lower risk portion, the liquid portion. And then you've got the risk on portion, which would be equities, investment real estate and alternatives. And my favorite segment in the alternative space is actually commodities. So as long as people understand, for simplicity, let's just talk about risk off and risk on. Risk off does not mean zero risk, it just means lower risk. And risk on doesn't mean hyper high risk, it just means a reasonable amount of risk so that you can begin to take advantage of the risk reward relationship. So as long as people understand this, risk off, risk on, rule of 100, you take your age and the percentage that you have in risk off, the way I would do it would be a combination of cash and fixed income, would be your age. So Roshan, how old are you this year? I am 31 this year, Rajan. Okay, very cool. So based on the rule of 100, you would have 31% of your portfolio in risk off, and therefore the balancing 69% would be in risk on. So the reason that people augmented the rule of 100 is because of the ultimate purpose of investing. As, as, as I mentioned twice just now, it is to grow our money faster than taxes and inflation will erode its purchasing power. Now, in a, a different set of interviews that you and I have done where we've spoken about retirement, I have actually mentioned this many times, that the biggest risk in retirement for a global audience is actually longevity risk. Mm. And longevity risk is defined as living too long and having your money run out. And that is why the rule of 100 was actually, uh, based on my understanding, shifted out to the rule of 120. So when you look at um, the rule of 100, which I've explained, and the rule of 120, which I'm going to talk about, and then you consider your rule of 110, you realize that it's a, a moderate path to basically try and balance things out and to add more liquidity. But let me explain how the rule of 120 works first. If you are, uh, let's say, 35 years old and uh, you're following the rule of 100, your risk-off portion will be 35% of your portfolio. Your risk-on would be 65%. But whether you're using the rule of 110 or 120, your risk-on portion when you're 35 years old, Roshan, four years from now, you take 120, you subtract your age, and that leaves you with 85 so 85%, therefore, becomes your risk-on portion when you're 35 years right. old. And when you're 36, it becomes 84. And when you're 40, it becomes 80 and so on and so forth. So the changing the rule is basically in response to the longevity risk, right? Because we have That's to right. take more risk on because we got to grow more wealth because we are living longer and uh, would spend more we time in to. retirement. And we need to deal with inflation. Rajan, I wish we really had a lot more time to discuss all of this. But you know what? We have talked about some of this in the past. So I will link those episodes in the show notes, uh, especially the one we talked about retirement. Uh, that was quite an interesting conversation. If I remember correctly, I titled it No Risk, No Retirement. So be sure to check it out. All these links and more in the show notes. So that's essentially some of the rationale about how you can do your asset allocation, the kind of things you have to pay attention to uh, and uh, the fight, the constant fight against inflation. But I guess the main question I have here is, why is portfolio rebalancing so important? Why can't I just set it and forget it? A very good point. Um, 
again, going back to first principles, how does any of us make money, whether it be in business or in investments? And the answer is we buy low and sell high. We all know this. What most people, even um, investment professionals don't realize is that the purpose of rebalancing, the purpose of asset allocation and then rebalancing your portfolio is precisely that, to buy low and sell high. There are effectively um, maybe three ways to intelligently buy low and sell high. One of them, uh, which we've talked about before, is DCA, dollar cost mm-hmm. averaging. Uh, the other one, which is a slightly more sophisticated version, is value cost averaging. So I'm sure we've had discussions. People can check the podcasts on that. But they can also go online and search my name and look. just do a search on Rajan Devadasan, DCA, BCA. And I actually wrote a paper on it some time ago, which is available for free. So uh, dollar cost averaging, value cost averaging, and then asset reallocation, asset rebalancing. So think about it. Let's have a really simple portfolio. And let's use the rule of 100 because then I won't have to keep shifting all the numbers in my head. Yes, let's put the math aside and keep it simple. uh, Keep it super simple. So let's say we're using the rule of 100 and we're talking about a 50-year-old man. And uh, that means he's got 50%, let's say, only in bonds and 50% only in equities. Now, he sets it and the day after he sets it, the percentages start to move. Markets can rise, markets can fall. Uh, The bond yields may rise, but generally slower than the risk on portion. And let's say he rechecks, I don't know, a year later. But just before he rechecked, the markets collapsed. And therefore, his original 50-50, even though there's been bond growth, and in general, there's also been an accretion of uh, uh, income, let's say dividends. But because the market fell, He's now looking at 55% cash and 45% risk on, and the market is low. So when you rebalance, you rebalance back to your original 50-50. 50-50 is actually probably far too conservative in general. I'm just using it as a simple example. So if he's down to 55, if the asset allocation uh, prior to rebalancing is now 55 to 45, he slices off one eleventh of his cash portion bond portion, one eleven of 55 would be 5 over 55, which would be 5 percentage points. So he slices off 5 percentage points and moves it directly from bonds to um, equities, let's say. And what is he doing? He's actually buying when equities are relatively low. And let's say six months down the road, we look at everything again, and suddenly, because equities have soared, we now have a situation where uh, your cash portion or your bond portion is 40% and your equity portion has been enlarged because the market's high and is now at 60%. And you remember that your long-term strategic asset allocation goal is 50-50. So then you slice off one-sixth of your risk-on portion and you move from 60% down to 50 percentage points and you move that money back into bonds or cash or safety. And if you, if you do this cycle after cycle after cycle, you realize what you're doing is you're buying low, you're selling high, but you're not doing it wholesale. You're not selling everything, buying everything. You're actually doing it on a gradual basis. Now, the reason that we do rebalancing, the reason that we rely on asset allocation is because we have an imperfect knowledge of the future. 
When we look at more than 200 years of investment data, we realize that in general of the various asset classes I spoke about, equities will give you the best returns of all, but over very, very long periods. And there are times when equities can be in the doldrums for five years, seven years, 10 years, can happen. But if you have a long investment time horizon, that's why it's very, very important to realize that timing the market is very unwise. Time in the market is very, very valuable. And by adopting an asset allocation approach, you are actually positioning yourself to be a saver and an investor over a very, very long haul, gradually extracting market profits when the markets are toppish and moving across to safety. And because you're building up your tank of liquidity, when markets dip, you don't freak out. I've been speaking with Rajan David Dawson, CEO of RD Wealth Creation. You've been listening to Ring It and Sense on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Ring It and Sense, the show that's all about personal finance. I'm Roshan Kanesan. This morning, I'm speaking with Rajan David Dawson, licensed financial planner with Many Life Investment Management Malaysia, Burhad. Typically, we're recommended to be more aggressive when we're younger, uh, hence the risk on. Hence also, if you take a look at the rule of 100, that kind of so reflects that, right? And get more conservative as we age and get closer to retirement. Um, why is that, Rajan? Why do we want to get more conservative and uh, look at more fixed income and things like that as we get closer to retirement and beyond? The short answer is, as we move into retirement and then through retirement, we need added liquidity and we can take on less risk. However, um, what you described at the beginning of this segment is absolutely correct from a textbook perspective. The younger you are, the more you should actually invest. Textbook. I actually don't do that. When I'm working with young adults, very often I put my foot down. Sometimes it's even teenagers, so they're not adults yet. I put my foot down and then it's Uncle Rajan tells you, <laughs> I'm not going to let you invest. You have to prove to me that you have the ability. And so I've actually had situations with clients where um, like they've got three kids of different ages and maybe the two older kids are earning money, maybe teaching piano or giving tuition classes or whatever. And then I'll say, okay, I put all three of you in a competition. I will set up only a risk-off savings portfolio, maybe, uh, maybe money market only or maybe even money market in bonds. Um, and I'll say the first one of you to actually cross 10,000 or 20,000 or 50,000, depending on where the, the family is based in the socioeconomic um, ladder. Once they cross that, because it takes time, it may take them six months, it may take them two years, but I'm constantly engaging with them and I'm giving them things to read and to think about and giving them an opportunity to talk to me. So that by the time they hit that particular threshold, let's say I, uh, I tell them, okay, you got to cross 20,000 before I will begin to put you into a risk-on portfolio. They have educated themselves and the reading actually tells them markets can drop. And, and those of us who have been in the business for a long time, we know that when markets drop, sometimes it can be terrifying. Most of the time, this is manna from heaven. <laughs> this is a rare opportunity to go in there and to just load up the truck and to basically buy low and wait for the market to readjust and to then have your profits rise. Now, one of the biggest problems with asset allocation and rebalancing has to do with the difference between what's called strategic asset allocation and tactical 
asset allocation. Mm. Uh, let me just cover that very quickly because I, I, I know that we're short of time. When it comes to strategic, we take a long-term view. Now, the rule of 100 or 110 or 120 is one fairly simplistic way of doing it. And it's something that I educate my clients on. But very often what we do is we also look at market conditions. We look at what the time horizon is for the client. And then we look at a series of pie charts that give you a certain percentage, let's say 70% risk on and 30% risk off. And then it really depends on whether the client is moderate or aggressive uh, or moderate, you know, veering into uh, conservative. And let's say if a moderate investor has a 70-30 risk on risk off split, but the client actually would prefer to be aggressive, then maybe we'll take it up to 80-20. And if the client wants to be conservative in that environment, then maybe what we would do is go to 60-40. Now, if you lock in that particular pie chart, long-term percentages for quite a while, let's say over a 20-year horizon, that becomes your strategic asset allocation. And every time you rebalance, and there are various ways to rebalance. Um, one is to use a calendar, like maybe rebalance once or twice a year. Many people think that rebalancing on, on January 1st uh, of each year is a good idea. Personally, I don't think so because I think most of the world is rebalancing at that point. And so what I think when you do, if you're doing calendar and if it's annual, I think it's actually best to rebalance on your birthday because, you know, there's uh, only a 0.3% chance that your birthday falls on January 1st. So when we look at the uh, times to do the rebalancing, Calendar is one option. Another option might be actually asset value drift. So let's say it's a client and the, the target is actually 70-30. And then you tell yourself, okay, I'll let it ride, I'll let it drop. But let's say there's more than a 3% point shift. Then we will rebalance, which means as it, as it goes from 70 to 71, 72, 73, you don't do anything. When you get 73.5, you then bring it back to 70. You slice off 3.5 percentage points. So I hope that was clear. And then um, the other way to do that would actually be to figure out where are you most invested? Are you primarily invested in the US market? Are you primarily invested in the Malaysian market? If the Malaysian market, you would use the composite index. If it's the US market, you may use the S&P 500. But what you do is, after you've decided on your strategic asset allocation and you look at the charts, you actually say, okay, when the CI hits 1,800 points, I'm going to do some trimming. When the CI hits 2,000 points, I'm going to do some trimming. When the CI drops to 1,100 points, I'm going to be adding more. And so you actually pre-write in a plan so that when a crash occurs or a sudden surge causes the markets to rise, you look at your plan and you stick to your plan. And when you do this, that is strategic. But tactical means, ooh, market super hot. It's very exciting. I know that my strategic asset allocation may be 70-30, but I think with the market soaring, I want to take a little bit more risk. So I will tactically move up from 70 to maybe 75 or 80 or 85 or maybe even 90% for a season. The problem is this. Many of us are great at leaving the safe harbor of strategic asset allocation and running off to play in the tactical space. <laughs> but we forget to come back to strategic. And we do that for two reasons. One is greed and the other one is amnesia. Amnesia because we move from strategic to tactical. Let's say we move from 70% risk on to 85. 
Then the market goes up and we're very happy. And then we forget and we just relax and we stay at 85. Then when the market collapses, we realize, oh no, I missed the opportunity to rebalance at the top. Uh, so that's because we forgot. Uh, and the other one is greed, of course, because we move from 70 to 85, market goes up and we think, oh, maybe I should take it to 88 or 90. And we just get more and more greedy and we don't take some money off the table. Okay, that was, I was going to ask you when we need to rebalance, but I think you've pretty much answered that. So one, calendar, Two, that strategic drift that you mentioned. And three, being the, the levels that you have predetermined uh, before. Rajan, let's wrap up this conversation with a look at some common mistakes, right? From your observations uh, and your experiences and, of course, your engagements as well. Um, what are the maybe the top three or four common mistakes you see uh, people make when it comes to rebalancing? When it comes to asset allocating, first mistake is people set the asset allocation and then assume, well, I've done my job, I don't need to do anything else. And the two worst things I think we can do with our portfolio are, one, not to asset allocate, and two, if we do asset allocate, to not rebalance. Okay, so that's one. Not rebalancing is very, very unwise because it, it, it basically cuts your legs from under you because the whole purpose of setting up the asset allocation is so that down the road, you'll be able to rebalance so that you can buy low, sell high. For what purpose? To grow your money faster than taxes and inflation can erode its purchasing power. So that's number one. Number two is, yes, you rebalance, but you are far too much um, in love with the idea of your tactical um, ratios that you forget or you're too greedy to come back to strategic. Um, so I think if you count those as two reasons, then we're up to three already. Rajan, on that note, thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been a pleasure. I've been speaking with Rajan Devadasan, CEO of RD Wealth Creation and Licensed Financial Planner with Manulife Investment Management Malaysia, Brahad. And you've been listening to Ringgit and Sense, the show that's all about personal finance. I'm Roshan Kanasan for BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.